Hey, good morning. My name's Ross. I'm one of the pastors here, and I'll add my welcome to Todd's. I'm, I'm glad you're here, particularly if you're visiting with us. Um, this is a great day to be here. We are uh, looking at what I think is one of the most amazingly beautiful chapters in all the New Testament on what the church is. Who are we as the church? And so, uh, if you've got your Bibles, go to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. That's where we'll be. We've been looking at Paul's letter to this church in Corinth. And if you haven't been with us, I'll tell you a little bit. Paul wrote uh, to this church. He planted the church and was there for about 18 months and then moved on in his missionary journey. And after a couple of years, um, turned and wrote a letter uh, to the believers that were in Corinth. And he writes it for two reasons. One of the reasons is because he'd heard reports about some of the things that were going on in the church. They were having uh, some difficulties and some divisions, and uh, they, were, they were like a lot of churches uh, throughout the last 2,000 years. And so he writes to address the, some of the nonsense that was going on in the church. And he's also writing, the other reason is because they had written him a letter. And they were asking him some questions and wanting Paul to weigh in on some things that they were wrestling with in the church and some of the things had become a disruption. And so the thing about that is we don't have the letter that they wrote to Paul. And, and so sometimes as we're reading Corinthians, we're having to guess what it, you know, what actually was the question that Paul is addressing because he, he's not always really clear about that. They would have known it, but... 2,000 years later, we're, we're wrestling with that. And here in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, they were writing to him and asking him something related to the Spirit of God active in their life as believers in the church. So, so how does this work, Paul? We need some instruction about this. There was some things that were disruptive. You probably had some folks that were charismatic and some folks that were like not charismatic. You know, I mean, it's like they only had one church. Um, so the, the Pentecostals and the Bible church, they had to all meet together. And, and so th that was what was going on, something like that. That was, by the way, that was a joke. So if you're new here and need to know, man, can I laugh at that? Yes, there'll be lots of things to laugh at. Um, if you laugh at something you're not supposed to, I'll let you know. Don't worry about it. But so that's what's going on. And, and he's writing about this. And, and um, uh, he, he takes three chapters to answer it. Chapter 12, chapter 13, chapter 14. And we're in the second half of chapter 12. Title is Spiritual Gifts Part 2. So we're super creative here at Bethel, all right? And um, again, is it, it's okay. It's all right. Here's what I want. If you've got your Bibles, let me show you uh, kind of a, a review of last week. Not a review. Let me show you one verse that we looked at last week. And it's kind of the summary of all of chapter 12. It's chapter 12, verse 7. So if you've got your Bibles, I'm going to start at chapter 12, verse 7. Then we're going to skip down to chapter, um, uh, chapter 12, verse 12, and, and then pick up, see how far we get. Um, Look at what it says. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7. It says, to each is given. To each is given. The manifestation of the Spirit for the common 
good. So, so to each, and, and he means here, to every believer, each believer, if you're a believer in Christ, he's talking about you. And he says it's given, which means it's, it's granted. You, you didn't earn this. You're not buying it. You don't inherit it. You don't mature into it. It's given to you. Well, what's given to you? He says this. It's a manifestation of the Spirit. And he's talking in this context about spiritual gifts. Manifestation literally means God making himself visible through you. God appearing or shining or disclosing himself through you. Every believer, a manifestation of the Spirit. And he says this, um, the Spirit is one Spirit, he calls it, the the same Spirit, one in the same Spirit. This is the Spirit of God. This is source, it's the power, the purpose. God's doing this. He's initiating it to every believer. And the manifestation, and he calls it in verses 4, 5, and 6, the, the gifts, the service, the activity of the Godhead in your life, shining through your life. It's real. It's tangible. And it's beneficial for the body of Christ. It's necessary. It's vital. It's designed by God. It's on purpose. It's intended. Makes me think of Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, after he says, listen, you've been saved by grace alone and through faith alone, by Christ alone. And because of that, you're the workmanship of God. And he has prepared good works for you from before the foundation of time. He's prepared before that you would walk in them. These things. And it's different in each of us. Verses 4 through 6, he says, variety. Variety of gifts and variety of activity and variety of service. Highlighting that they're different. It's an Allotment, the picture in 1 Peter 4 that we ended with last week, it's multicultural, it's multifaceted, a kaleidoscope, this wonderfully diverse, beautifully complex, endlessly elegant, unconditional, never-ending, oceanic grace of God. And you, each of you, if you're a believer, you've been given a portion of this grace a manifestation of the Spirit. And in Paul's mind, like we said last week, it's probably a mixing, a mingling of common grace. So, so the common grace in your life, the natural abilities you're born with, the experience, the, uh, the things that you've worked to develop, or, you know, it, all that's by design, by God's design. But also, it's, it's not only common grace, it's supernatural grace. And so it's probably a mingling of both. And it looks like this, you know, so sometimes in a moment or an opportunity, 
The supernatural grace of God is drawn to the surface and sometimes mingled with and empowering the common grace in our life so so that an ordinary moment or an ordinary conversation or an encounter with another person all of a sudden becomes extraordinary. A, A common moment becomes holy. You know, the earth beneath your feet all of a sudden, you realize, oh, this is, this is holy ground. This is suddenly sacred. At other times, we're not fully aware. You know, but it seems that, uh, to me, the evidence of the New Testament, even the evidence of the Old Testament, really, that God does things that are supernatural in the ordinariness of believers' lives. And so he takes our gifts and abilities which are from him and for him. And he sows them into the kingdom. You know, he, he sows them into the fabric of his redemptive work. He takes ordinary moments, ordinary conversations, ordinary routine daily life. And for believers, he sows that into eternity. And this is the supernatural grace of the Spirit of God in the life of the believer. And every believer has this. But Paul is so clear about this. Each believer, every person in the body of Christ designed in a unique way to manifest something of the Spirit of God that no one else can. That's what he has for you. And, and, and Paul wants you to know this. And so there's no ranking of the gifts. There's no varsity and JV and all this. He wants everybody to know if you're a believer, you have the Spirit, and God's manifesting this for the common good, he says, for others. Manifesting, making visible, tangible, shining of God through our life for the good of others and the building up of others. And this is amazing. I mean, if we got a hold of this, if, if, if we really believed this, if, if, we, if this sank down into the, you know, the marrow of our life, it would transform how we view who we are as believers and who we are as the local body of Christ. Now, Jump with me to verse 12, and we're going to pick up in, in, in Paul's argument. And in verse 12, he says this, For just as the body is one and has many members. So Paul's point here, he's been making the point, and he wants us to know it again. There is this unity, this unity, this one body unity, and there is diversity. There's differences, there's variety. For just as one body, or just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, all are members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. Verse 13, for in one spirit, we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. So Paul, he's going to illustrate. He's going to give us an illustration here, okay? An analogy. Technically, it's a simile. If you use like or as, it's a simile. 
And Paul uses several analogies in the, in the New Testament to talk about the church, or the body, or, you know, marriage. He uses family language or household language. Already in 1 Corinthians, he's said, you know, we're like a field or a building or a temple. The one he unpacks the most is, is usually the body. One body, many members. Many body parts. And you need all the, the parts to be a body. So, one of the things you notice is Paul writes this. He doesn't get super detailed. I mean, he's not trying to make the analogy walk on all fours here. He's keeping it simple. Feet and hands and ears and eyes, nose, head. In other words, he expects us to get the point, and he's making it as simple as possible. And then he says at the end of verse 12, so it is with Christ. Now, the analogy he's making, so here's the body, so it is with Christ. Verse 27, you're the body of Christ and individually members of it. He's talking about Christ. And so we've had our Bibles for so long. We know Paul, when he's saying this, he's talking about the church and, and what it means to be the church. And we kind of expect him to say it that way. So it is with the church. But he says, so it is with Christ. See, here's the deal. When, when Paul thinks about the church, he thinks about Jesus. In Acts chapter 9, when Paul is still Saul and he's a Pharisee and he's got papers from the Sanhedrin in Jerusalem to go and to round up men and women of the way. That's what they used to call the Christians back then, those that belonged to the way, probably based on Jesus saying, I am the way. And he was there headed to Damascus. He's going to round up men and women who are Christians Bring him back to Jerusalem. He's persecuting the church. Persecuting believers. And in Acts chapter 9 verse 4, Paul's on this road to Damascus. Jesus shows up in a bright light. Jesus shows up, blinds Paul. Paul falls to the ground. And Jesus says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Jesus didn't say, why are you persecuting the people that follow me or those that belong to the way or those that belong to me? He means all of that, but he says, why are you persecuting me? See, you're not only this morning, if you're a believer, you're not only a follower of Christ, you're part of Christ. You're in Christ. Christ is in you. And we don't understand all of what that means but so much so that when Jesus uses pronouns, he uses the, you know, first person pronouns. He has you in mind. So in a sense, you know, the church in Corinth, the church in Tyler, we are Christ to the world. Yes? Manifesting Making visible who God is. One of the things you, you find out in all this is that this unity, this one body unity that he's talking about. See, we all come together to make the body. But this unity 
doesn't flatten out diversity. You find that the diversity amongst us, the differences that, that each of us has, it doesn't threaten unity. You might think about like, you know, keys on a piano or strings on a guitar. Uh, it's diverse. They're different. You know, they're unified. One key, one note, one string. That's not music. You know, that's not a song. It's a noise. It's a sound, but it's not, a, it's not it's not music. But when it comes together and it makes chords and progressions and melodies, you know, and diversity is critical to the unity. And here's the thing Paul is saying. The differences, each of them, all the differences represented in this room this morning as a local church, all the differences manifesting in different ways. One spirit, they all find their source in the same spirit. Manifesting in different ways for the common good, coming together the variety of gifts in a unity that glorifies God. This is what Paul's trying to make clear to us. And then in verse 14, he says, for the body does not consist of one member, but of many. Okay. So that's his point. He's using the body as an analogy, and we know how bodies work. With arms and legs and knees and feet and all those things. But, but, but all of those together make a body. Now, he's going to say, based on this, there are two kinds of people that emerge when we talk about spiritual gifts, the diversity amongst the body coming together for unity. There's two kinds of people that emerge. The first kind of person that emerges is the kind of person that looks at all of this, looks at their gift, how the Spirit of God has come and manifesting the presence of God in their life, empowering them. And they say, well... The gift God gave me is not very important. I don't like it. I don't belong. It must not be a place for me. That's, that's one kind of response. The other kind of response is that a person looks at their gift and they say, huh, this is a pretty awesome gift. I don't need anybody. One person says, nobody wants me. The other person says, no, I, I don't need anybody. I don't want anybody. Nobody needs me. I don't need anybody. These are two kinds of responses. Look at the first one with me. Verse 15. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body. Well, that would not make it any less part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body. That would not make it any less part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? So, so the, the picture is that you got somebody and they look at themselves and they go, oh, well, I'm just a foot. Man, hands are awesome and I always wanted to be a hand. I mean, a foot. I mean, you can, play, you can kick a soccer ball, but you can't catch anything. Or whatever, I don't know. 
Or somebody says, well, I'm an ear. I sure wish I was an eye. All I do is hear things. I can't see anything. It would be so much better if I could just see stuff and not have to hear it. Or whatever. And Paul says, that's crazy. You size yourself up. You compare yourself with another body part. And because you're not the body part you wished you were, you say, well, I don't belong. Nobody wants me. I don't have a place. All that stuff. I think a lot of people feel this way. It's a misunderstanding we have. It's not understanding how we're designed. See, God's designed and arranged. Look at what he says in verse 18. But see, as it is, he says, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. No matter what you are, if you're a foot or an ear, you know, or nose, or neck, or knee, you know, you're exactly what God has chosen for you to be. He says in verse 19, if, if all were a single member, where would the body be? If we just had a room full of hands, we wouldn't be a body. We'd just be a weird collection of hands. Verse 20, as it is, there are many parts, yet one body. And then he moves to the second kind of person. Look in verse 21. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again the head to the feet. I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. And if one member's honored, all rejoice together. The, the I, I don't need you people. That's what he's talking about. And here's the thing. The I don't need you people, they're everywhere. And, and they all have their own perspective, you know. Here's, I was kind of thinking about it this week. Yeah, I think they're kind of, they're superior. They're judgy. You know, they have this superpower of being able to diagnose other people's problems, particularly with regard to why those people are having problems. Well, I'll tell you what's wrong with them. It's usually how it starts. The I don't need you people have a low tolerance for other people. A low tolerance for what is different from them. Or, or different from, you know, what they like or, or, or what they're used to. The source of their frustration, you know, or their, or their disappointment or, or their unmet expectations or unmet timetables. You know what the source is? People. We all know I don't need you people. We all know them. Here's the harder truth. Maybe a truer truth. 
There's an I don't need you person sitting in your chair. Every single one of us has that reflex in us. See, it's part of what sin broke back in Genesis chapter 2. I mean, sin broke our relationship with God. Uh, Genesis chapter 3, you go back there. Sin broke our relationship with God. It, it, It broke the world, you find out. Sin broke our relationship with the world, and sin broke our relationship with mankind and with each other. In fact, you go to Ephesians chapter 2, and it's all about what the death of Jesus accomplished, what the shed blood of Jesus on the cross for our sins accomplished. And in the first half of of Ephesians chapter 2, what it accomplished is reconciling us with God, making us right with God. By grace, through faith, in Christ alone, we believe and trust that the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross satisfied everything we owed God because of our sin. And we're reconciled to him. And then the second half of Ephesians 2, you know what it's about? How the shed blood of Jesus accomplished reconciliation with us. That we could be reconciled with each other. That we could have peace. With one another. That it took the death of Jesus on the cross to reconcile us to God and also make the way for us to be reconciled to each other. So every one of us, every one of us has this as part of our old man. I do. You know, my old self, my old body of flesh and experience and memory and history. We all have this reflex in us, all of us. The ancient reflex that goes back to when we were kicked out of the garden. This is, I don't need you. I'm just fine without you. In fact, maybe I'm a little better without you. That reflex. And in verse 22 to 24, Paul, I think he's being a little cheeky here. And he talks about, you know, what's weaker and less honorable and the unpresentable parts. Because there were some high status Corinthians, you know. They couldn't help but look down their noses at those who were, you know, kind of uncouth and lower class brothers and sisters in Christ. Maybe they were embarrassed, you know, how diverse the church was. Maybe, you know, maybe we should do something about that riffraff. You know, because I, here's the thing. I think that every single one of us, everyone, from whatever seat you find yourself sitting in in life, the experiences you've had, the heartaches or the privilege, every one of us can find a high horse of superiority from which to look down upon others. Some, you know, we have some seat of honor and we could say, you know, others are less honorable or some air of being presentable or acceptable or enlightened or evolved. And we're able to point out what we would say is unpresentable or unacceptable. Or, you know, well, this or that, it it embarrasses me. I don't know about you. A study in this passage this week, I was telling somebody, I was like, yeah, Lord, help me understand what these I don't need you people are like. And all of a sudden I realized, oh, yeah, I know. 
Uh, I know exactly what that's like. I'm one of those people. You are too. It's convicting to me. But notice, in, in, in 24, Paul, what he does here, this is not some unfortunate social accident. God has composed this. That word is very much like the word in English, synchronized in the Greek. It means to compose or to unite or to mix up with, to combine, to, to blend. See, the local church, Paul is saying, is going to be unlike any other place. And it's God who makes it that way. See, we don't love different. We don't. We're not naturally drawn to what's different. At the Hope Campus, our Bethel Hope Campus, which is far north, the north, go on Broadway, go all the way north. You'll be there. It's on the left. And Ricky Garner, who's our campus pastor there. And by the way, this is today Hope's fifth anniversary of being a campus. It's so exciting. Yes, you can clap of that, but quickly. All right. But Ricky Garner, he talks about, he always talks about this shared discomfort. You know, it's this multicultural, multi-generational, you know, kind of multi-everything church. And he talks about this shared discomfort, this uncomfortable by design. You know, that's the local church. That's how it's supposed to be. I remember I was there, um, the first time I ever preached there, um, when they were, in the building that's now the, uh, the, used to be the Boys and Girls Club, now it's the Bethel Hope uh, campus. And I was there and I was preaching and, and I hadn't been there for a worship service yet. And I remember I was called Ricky. I said, okay, I, tell me about the order of service, how that's going to work. He goes, ah, oh, just show up. Somebody will tell you how it goes, which is vastly different than here. All right. So here the, the, we've got this whole list, like this is how long everything's supposed to be. And it's funny, you know, they put this little time there for me to preach, and I'm like, oh, okay. Um, and so I go there, though, and I'm sitting, he's like, yeah, just find so-and-so. Well, I'm looking for so-and-so. I can't find them. I asked somebody else. I was like, ah, don't worry about it. You, you'll know when you're supposed to do something. And then just before the service starts, they say, oh, yeah, and don't forget about the circle prayer time or whatever it is they call it. And I'm like, the What? It's like, oh, yeah, yeah, you'll, you, you'll know it. Well, here's the deal. I, um, so, this is more about me than about them. They're awesome, okay? I'm not awesome. But there's a time in the service that happens. It's after one of the songs, and they gather everybody around, and you, you get in a circle. If I ever wanted to clear this place out, this is what I'd do. I'd say, okay, now it's time. Everybody get up out of your seat. Let's make a circle and hold hands with a stranger. There you are in a circle. We're all holding hands. I don't, I don't like touching people. People say, pray for this and pray for this and pray for this. So then, I, then I pray. I lead the thing in prayer. And I get to confess to you that how much time I spend in that moment, that really beautiful, awesome moment, feeling self-conscious and weird because this was different. Shared 
discomfort. Different people. This is how the local church is supposed to be. Different people, different backgrounds, different stories, different kinds of joys. Different sorrows. Different messiness and different opinions. And then here's the deal. The Spirit of God comes along and makes it worse. He he doesn't come and smooth out the differences. He doesn't come flatten them out. He highlights them. Spirit of God comes and takes the grace of God, this multicultural, kaleidoscope, multifaceted. That's what the word varied means in verses 4 through 6. These different gifts and services and activities. This comes from God and it doesn't flatten out the differences. He turns up the heat on them and empowers that and manifests it and apportions it. Verse 11 says, as he wills. Verse 18 says, as he chooses. God arranges and composes. And verse 28 says, appoints. And that's why the gifts aren't predictable. They can't be bought. They're not inherited. But it's God who assigns the gifts and appoints the roles and composes as he wills and as he chooses. And in doing so, what God does is he defies, he absolutely defies the magnetic draw that we have to what is comfortable and what's the same as me and what's easy. And what requires the absolute minimum of me. And he does it for a purpose. Look at verse 25. So that, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. Not, not that the church would merely tolerate the differences, but that we'd find among ourselves in the local church, but that we would graciously and compassionately Share and one of the sorrows and joys that we care for one another. The word care, it's positive or negative words. When it's in the negative context, it's, it's translated anxiety. Here it's, it's positive. It means to take much care, to be greatly concerned it's how the body works. One part hurts, the whole body's affected. We're linked together. One part rejoices, we all rejoice. And then look at what Paul says in verse 27. Now you are the body of Christ. And individually members of it. See, here's the problem. Some of you are here this morning and you're part of the body of Christ because you're a believer in Christ. You've been saved by grace through faith in Christ, indwelled by the Spirit of God, which means you're gifted and you're empowered. Spirit of God means to manifest. Make visible through you who God is. But see, thing is you're not connected to the body of Christ. 
You know, when it comes to the body of Christ, you, you're kind of more like a, a, a prosthetic. I have a friend who's an elder at our downtown campus, and uh, he can take out his eye. He has a glass eye. Just take it out. It's creepy. Doesn't do anything. See, my point is, some of you are here and you're trying really hard to stay in that sweet zone. You know, of Sunday morning attendance, um, you, you know, so you come here and you dig the music and you endure the preaching and you know the people that sit around you. Occasionally, you might go to lunch after church with somebody, maybe, but you're not connected. And, and here's the thing, my prediction, it, you probably have another six months here, maybe. And then you'll be gone again. Just to sit in your first rodeo. But please hear my pastoral heart. I'm not here trying to shame you. I'm not. But what I'm trying to tell you is you're needed. We can't do this without you. You can't do this without us. I spent a lot of years in the church as a member, long before I ever became a pastor. And the church I grew up in, it loved God's word, and it gave me a value and this love and desire for God's word. But, but I didn't know what to do w- with it. I didn't know what to do with the teaching. Sometimes I'd feel this, you know, burning fire in me, you know, but I didn't know what to do with it. I mean, go home and study, but study is not an end in and of itself. And I'd feel like I was changing on the inside, you know, sanctifying the Lord. Was, and I hoped I was. But there was no lab to work that out. You know, my, my church experience was very pastor focused. You know, the church was the pastor and you came and you listened to him. And so I created this, you know, category that that's what ministry was. That's what church was, being a pastor. You know, if you had this desire, God wants to use me. Well, I must have to be a pastor. And so what happened is that went on long enough, I kind of fell out of love with the church, you know, and I thought for a while maybe I was out of love with God because I really, I really wanted to move closer in my relationship with Christ. I wanted to move, I wanted my Christian life to be real. I wanted to grow in Christ and I didn't understand what the Christian life was. I thought it was going to go, I thought it was going, listening to somebody preach, trying to do what they say. What I didn't know is there was so much more that God has for the believer. Maybe this. I I knew there was more. I felt it all the time. I didn't know what it could be. Maybe you feel that way this morning. You want something more. And you know there's something more. But you don't know what it is. And so it makes us restless. Listen, we live in a city that is restless. And sometimes I think the way we try to figure out, we kind of start with the wrong, we go to the wrong place. You know, we start with, well, how, how did it make me feel? Which is not a terrible question. But it's not a great starting question. Or, you know, was I inspired? Was it music, teaching, you know, high church, low church? Were people nice to me? What exactly is this church doing for me? Well, we evaluate it like a restaurant, you know? And we've all experienced that. We're not the first ones. This is what they were doing in, 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 in Corinth. 
They wanted to come and watch a church do something great. We think that's it. Want to come and watch somebody do something great. That's not enough. That's not what our longing is. We want to come and do something great with the church, as the church, because that's how God's arranged it. That's how he's composed it. That's how he's appointed us. But here's the deal. We have the power to do it. Holy Spirit, say, come on, I I can't wait to unleash this power through you. And you have people to do it with and accomplish great things with, seen and unseen. And Paul wants them to know it's not about what the church is going to do for me. Listen, the church is going to do something for you, and it's designed to. And Paul talks about that also in other places. But here in this context, he wants them to experience what God intends to do through them, what he intends to unleash through them by his Spirit in the church and in the world for the common good. This is why you feel something more. It's why you long for something more. It's the Spirit of God in you. Ecclesiastes 3, it's the eternity that is set in your heart. The Spirit is in every believer, dwells in every believer. And no one person can do all the Spirit aims to do in the church. No one has that capacity. Not since Jesus. The second person of the Trinity. You, you weren't created to be alone. And it's only as this power in us comes together that we do these great things Jesus talked about in, in John 14 through 16 when he says, you, you'll do greater things than I did. Jesus means that. As the Spirit indwells each one of us and and we are given a portion of his grace and then we come together as one body for the common good. Paul means to give us a vision that's so much bigger than ourselves. So much bigger than anything we could satisfy all by ourselves. Something that only happens when we lock arms with each other to accomplish things God means for us to do that we can only dream about. You know, that we all embrace that, man, we come together, we want people to move closer to Christ, no matter where they are, no matter how far away they are, how long they've walked with Christ. Everybody would would see people moving closer to Christ. And you can either show up as a spectator, you know, evaluating if you're being moved closer to Christ, or you can join the mission of the church. Being a part of that. When I got a hold of this, it it changed my life. I'm, I'm telling you. First glimpse I had of it was when I was in college and I was a young life leader and it grabbed hold of me. It wasn't about me anymore. It was 
was with this team, and I saw the power of God working with, with these people. They brought together all these believers. And he knit us together. People who, I, listen, I'm friends with for the rest of my life. Happened again when I was in seminary. We were at Richland Bible Fellowship Church in, in, in Richardson, Texas. And, and I, was, I taught a fifth grade Sunday school class. And I began as a warm body. I did, I promise you. Somebody needed to sign up. Leslie was serving. I was like, okay, I got to And then there was this guy, Stump Dankel, who was a big South Dallas police officer. And he says, you're going to teach the fifth grade Sunday school class. I was like, Okay. Ended up being the best thing I did every single week. Couldn't believe it. He'd always ask me, Stump would always ask me, call me, how are we going to get these kids to see Jesus? How are we going to get these kids to see Jesus? How are we going to help them understand? What God wants them to know. I mean, that stuck with me and he would encourage me and I'd go in there and I'd, I'm listening, and I'm terrible with fifth graders. Uh, I'm not good at that. But it didn't matter. God did something. I remember the first Bible study I ever taught. It's the first terrible. It's terrible. Oh my gosh, it was terrible. All these guys show up the very first time and like two show up the next time and it never got bigger than that. And the second time, these guys came around me and they said, look, can we help you? Yes, please. And they didn't. It's like serving with some folks. And and, and I'm telling you, it changed my life. Real people, average people with the power of God in us coming together for the common good and the mission of God for the world. It doesn't get any better than that. If you're here this morning, and you're not serving, you're not connected. You're not... Let's get you connected. Ch- Chad Bradley is gonna, he's gonna be standing out there in that foyer waiting for you. Get me connected, help me. Maybe you're a warm body this morning, you know, and you're just. Like I signed up, I'm doing this deal, I'm just sort of going through the motions. And, and let me say, maybe you'd move from warm body to white hot passion for where God has you serving on this campus this morning. That's enough for me, for you, for, for this body of Christ, for what God intends to do. You'll grow. Oh man, you'll grow. You'll fall in love with the bride of Christ. You'll fall in love with what the church is experiencing the power of God like you've never even imagined. And it's a great time to do it. Listen, people come here every week looking for their kids. They're looking for a place where their kids could be taught God's word by people that loved them. Or coming here, people coming here looking for hope. Or people coming here, they're looking for something. You could be the very first person they meet. Standing out in that door, waiting out in that parking lot for them, or 
Show up early. Do something different around here. Invite somebody. You know, most people, if you invite them and they don't have someplace else they're going, they'll come with you. That's how some of you got here. All right, I'm done. Imagine the power of God unleashed in you as you're connected with other believers for the good around you. It's what Paul wants for you. It's what I want for you. What I want for us, for all of us. Let's pray. Father, do these things in us. I pray you'd stir us. I pray this morning, some folks here that say, you know what, I am just not connected. Father, do not let them one moment of peace about that from here to their car. Run them right into Chad Bradley this morning. Father, I pray this would be the year, the week, the month. They decide, you know what, I'm going to do something different. I'm going to I'm going to believe God's word here. Pray for that. I pray for all those here that might look, surveying themselves and think, you know what, I just, I don't belong or I, I'm not useful. They know that is a lie from the pit of hell. Father, for every part of us that somehow believes we don't need others, Father, would you extinguish that from our mind and our thinking today. Would you give us a vision of what you mean to do with us together with all our differences this beautiful body of Christ that you're arranging and composing and appointing and we'd see that more clearly. We ask this the only way we can in the name of your son Jesus And by the power of your spirit. Amen. Well, if you would, would you stand with me? If you, um, hey, if you're newish around here and you uh, uh, haven't ever been to Discover Bethel and you want to come, we're about to have one. We've got lunch for you. We'd love for you to come. You just show up. Just just walk across the the grass over there. We're going to be meeting in the theater. We would love for you to join us. May the grace and the peace of our Lord Jesus Christ go with you. Amen. We'll see you next week.